You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it downfield wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Doing to where he was going right away. How the hit is that there, man? What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, the great Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN joins us to break down this pivotal Dolphins and Bills game. He has been on either sides of the beat. He brings a fresh perspective for us here on the last variety show of the regular season. Plus, we'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel. I'm going to talk to you about legacy games and quarterbacks and playoff success and rattle off some statistics from some of the top quarterbacks in the history of the league in big-time games that might surprise you a little bit. All of that and more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. My guest today, Week 18 Variety Show, last one of the regular season from ESPN, Marcel Louis-Jacques. Joining me today for the final Variety Show of the regular season is Marcel Louis-Jacques from ESPN, author some of my favorite stories around the team this year. Marcel, welcome back in to the podcast. I appreciate it, man. Always good to be back and always pencil in uh, Buffalo week for a couple of appearances every season. So, uh, no, man, happy to talk some ball here. Got a good game coming this weekend. One of the best games. It reminds me of, so, you know, Marcel, I know you're a little bit younger than I am, but I know that you have an appreciation for you know, the history of the NFL and the history of sports. I mean, I'm looking at a Michael Jordan, uh, excellent photo right behind your head uh, on your background here on the Zoom call. Um, do you remember the 90s Dolphins and Bills rivalry very much and in, in the Dan Dan Marino, Jim Kelly era? Because this game kind of, you know, we had Vic Fangio yesterday talking about how Josh Allen kind of reminds him of John Elway, but that's like the era of those quarterbacks, Elway, Marino, Kelly. Do you remember much about those 90s Dolphins and Bills games? Uh, I don't, man. Uh, you know, growing up in, I mean, you know what I mean, growing up on the West Coast, you don't really get uh, exposed to rivalries all the way over here. Um, but I mean, to be honest, I was born in 92. My first, my formative memories of NFL football were those Rich Gannon, Jerry Rice, Tim Brown Raiders in the early 2000s. So like, I remember them, like that was it. And I knew my uh, my stepdad at the time, we used to play Madden a lot. My stepdad at the time would actually pick the the Dolphins all the time because Ricky Williams was a cheat code in like Madden <laughs> 01. And so I actually hated the Dolphins because of that. I had no <laughs> real reason to. All I knew is that Ricky Williams was getting me for a buck 20 every time we booted that game up and I couldn't stand it. But uh, no, I didn't. But I, I mean, I've heard so much about them, obviously living in, uh, living in Buffalo, living in Miami. To be honest, I think, I heard I heard a lot more about the Dolphins from Bills fans than I hear about the Bills from Dolphins fans. Uh, there's genuine hatred up there for this team down here. Uh, you know, any other any other, you know, in a vacuum, any other time you move from, you know, a cold environment to Miami, like 
Miami is is it's a it's a worldwide destination, right? Like this tropical <laughs> paradise that people all from every country in the world try to visit to. Nobody would bat an eye. No one would think twice. If I moved from Green Bay to to Miami, if I moved from you know uh, Minneapolis, not Minneapolis, like Duluth to Miami, nobody would bat an eye. But I come from, but because it's Buffalo and because it's the Dolphins and Bills. I am still hearing about it almost three years later. It's been almost three damn years, man. And they're still mad. So like, yeah, it's, it's a real rivalry. And I, I can, you know, as much as I roll my eyes about it, uh, you know, anytime I see, you know, the, don't you wish you were in Buffalo? Oh, you abandoned us. Oh, you shouldn't have taken it. I roll my eyes, but like, I can't help but at least appreciate it. Cause like, it means that people care. And like Bill's fans are a lot of things, but you can never accuse them of not caring about this team. I was going to say off the top, I wish the listeners could see the visual of you going through this right now, because I can tell like your facial expression explained how much you've dealt with that. Like I, I, we talk about it all the time when you're out here in the press room, like it's, I see it on your social media all the time. It's so funny to me. And that's kind of where I wanted to go with the opening of the podcast, because you know, the, the rivalry, you talk about the hatred, the, I've seen the squish, the fish thing so many times. Guys, like dolphins are mammals, they ain't fish. Like that, that's just one thing I want to get out of my chest real quick. But let's let's go back to that, Marcel, because you talked about the transition from Buffalo to Miami. I love the Duluth shout out too, by the way. Uh, I had Daniel Oyafusi on last week because he covered the Ravens and the Dolphins, and he's from Baltimore. But you've done both, but you're also more impartial because Daniel grew up a Ravens fan. Obviously, I grew up a Dolphins fan. I'm just curious to, to I guess, go into more detail about the transition and I guess the not the lifestyle difference, but maybe the difference between covering Sean McDermott's bills versus Mike McDaniel's Miami dolphins. Um, it's so the one thing that you have to know about the bills is that like, there is not another team in the country, maybe the Packers. I, I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time around Packers fans, but I, from my experience, there's not another team in the country that is so intertwined into the identity of its city than the bills are to Buffalo. And so, you know, the city of Buffalo operates with a chip on its shoulder. It's it, they're defensive. They are anything that can be taken as a slight will be taken as a slight and met with equal or greater force. Like they are, they really rally around that. Like it could be, things could be going great, but like you say one bad thing about them, and it's nobody believes in us, like nobody likes us, everybody hates it, Buffalo against the world, like it's like that. So that's Sean McDermott, and that's Sean McDermott to a T. Like he he operates with a chip on his shoulder. He operates with a insane competitive streak, and he has ingrained that into that team. So I remember when I got there, I, I actually wrote a story about, you know, how that locker room was assembled. And it's just like a gang of misfit toys, you know, guys who were cast off from other teams or traded or cut or fired and this and that, like, it's not a team. It was not a collection of people that was used to success. And, and uh, they use that to their advantage, you know, during this, this, the, the come up from probably what 2019 to we'll call it 2020, 19 and 20 uh, that chip on their shoulder of nobody thinks we could do this. Nobody thinks we were good enough to do it. Uh, and I think where like they hit their plateau usually in the, like mid season, every mid season is like, people think they're good and they don't know how to mentally handle that. So like, <laughs> it's always like something happens that like wakes people up like, Oh, they said that we fell off and then they woke up. So I think like that Sean McDermott article, it was an excellent article by Ty Dunn, but I think that ironically has fueled the build. Like that's how they operate. And I don't know if that's necessarily the same thing 
here in Miami. I don't know if that's necessarily Mike McDaniel's uh, rallying cry. Like every coach to some extent tells their players, right? Like, Hey, nobody thinks you can do it. Go prove them wrong. Like that's like a fundamental damn motivating chip uh, in, in, in coaching. But I, I don't feel like it's the exact same. I think, uh, I think Mike McDaniel is a lot more, how do I put this? He's a lot more willing to accept or at least, you know, acknowledge outside narratives. Uh, for example, he, he, great, he gave this great answer uh, the other day when, when, you know, talking about how Tua, uh, how Tua spent his offseason, like building himself up. And he was like, I think, you know, he's he was able to get to this point because he understands the narrative. Like you understand why people are saying this about you. You're not entitled to perfect treatment. You are not entitled to positivity and sunshine and rainbows every time you. The fact is, you have not finished the season. You have not been healthy for an entire season. Go fix that. Use that and fix it. So like on one side, it's like use that energy and like in a negative way not a negative way, but use that energy as in like, uh, oh, we don't, they don't believe you. They don't think you could do it. They don't. And on McDaniel's side, it's more like they're saying it for a reason. Like you haven't done it. Like that's true, but it's up to you to fix it. So like, it, it's kind of like two sides of the same coin there. Uh, but, and obviously, you know, I think Mike McDaniel is a lot funnier than Sean McDermott. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, I think I heard, I have heard more jokes in just a throwaway Mike press conference than I did in two years covering Sean. Sean is not a, I tried to joke with him at one point about the, the G-Shock watch he had on. Uh, I was like, <laughs> oh man, you can't hide money, can you? And then he just got like so beat red, embarrassed. That I was like, okay, my bad, man. That's, uh, it's, joking's not for everybody. Joking's <laughs> not for everybody. Like he's, he's a good coach. Like I'm not saying this like as a, critic, as a critique against him, but Mike is a different kind of humor. I love that you you mentioned the that first of all the, the the story about coaches watch at the combine I think last year was I think he was doing Florio and Sims's podcast and he talked about that and that was a completely different answer that he had there which kind of bookends your point about the differences but also some of the similarities between the two coaches and you know you talk about the the chip on the shoulder and you know the two sides of the same coin I like that phrase you use because McDaniel's you know kind of rallying cry sometimes is a bunch of guys who we're told they can't right guys that you know a Raheem Moster who has his first Pro Bowl season in his ninth year of his career Alec Ingold who was you know released from a, a Raiders team where he played pretty well and then winds up down here as a, a captain a key a key piece of this locker room and this football team and that kind of leads me to my next question here as we get more to the focus of the game because like this is why you're the perfect guest for this Marcel because you have this level-headed approach of there's no emotions with you in this matchup. It's all logic. And you just kind of seem to have this even keel approach to what this game could look like. Because if you listen to my podcast all week, I'm kind of a mess, man. Like I'm, I've been this confident, very, you know, I consider myself pretty knowledgeable in the dolphins and I, I see this team all year long. I saw it in training camp. I saw it back in OTAs. They're a really good football team. And I've been confident in their ability all year long. But right now, because of Josh Allen's success, because of that week four game, because of the nine of the last 10, my confidence is completely shook. Like, I don't know where to go with this game. Like, I, I feel like they sh- they should and could win it, but my heart's like, but you've been burned on this matchup before. So that's all in a prelude to ask you, what do you think we get out of this Dolphins team that's facing all these injuries? You know, you talk about the, the rallying cry, adversity is an opportunity, right? This is the most adversity they've probably faced all year as they, you know, the division's on the line after it looks like it was in hand back in the start of December, all these key injuries are coming off of, of you know, 35-point loss, whatever it was. 
What do you expect we get on Sunday night from this Miami Dolphins team? Yeah, it, it, I think it's it's going to be one of two things. You're either going to see you're going to see a team. You see it a lot in in it's more in basketball, but you see it in team sports where a star goes down and the rest of the team kind of rallies together to pick up the slack. Like it's not totally unheard of. It's not totally unheard of. But you're either going to see a team rally around losing Chubb and and Jalen and X for the week, or you are going to see a dominant Bills victory. Then I don't really, I don't think there's really any in between. Like you either, the Dolphins are either going to play their best game, maybe their best game under Mike McDaniel period, or they're going to get routed because it is just, it's, it's so they're almost on two opposite sides of the spectrum in terms of momentum at this point of the year. Uh, you know, the Dolphins have been, it's been a roller coaster December. It's been better than last year. It was better than last year by default because they won a game. But like it start, you know, it starts with the win, the big win over Washington, and then the loss to Tennessee, and then the big wins over New York and Dallas, and then the loss to Baltimore. It's just been this roller coaster. <laughs> Meanwhile, the 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 Bills roller coaster ride, it, it's a cart that's only gone up over the past month. It's only going up. No matter how sloppy they looked against me. New England, no matter how many scares they have, they keep winning games. They keep winning games. You know, the down the wire against the Chargers, doesn't matter. You win A win is a win. I don't really care how it happened. Win is a win. Uh, and then you've got, of course, 17 coming in. And I was just looking up, man. His numbers over his first 11 games, like I had to refresh the page to make sure, like, okay, I'm looking at, like, the split, right? Like, this isn't just his numbers versus the AFC. 3,000 yards passing. 31 touchdowns, five interceptions, 570 rushing yards against five touchdowns, nine and two record, nine and two record. And I believe those two losses came down to the final play of the game. Like it, it, it's a, it's not a great matchup. It's not a great time to lose your best two pass rushers in Phillips and Chubb, which like when you have guys who are that athletic and that physical and that explosive on the end, like that's a great counter to a guy like Josh Allen because those guys are just as big as him, just as fast as him. Like they can, they can contain him in theory. They can contain him in theory. Theory, it's a tough time to be down Xavier Howard as well. Um, I think a lot of what this Dolphins defense does revolves around having those two lockdown guys, those two premier corners in X and and Jalen Ramsey. Um, and we saw a little bit of what a team is willing to do if one of those Ramsey or Howard is forced to miss time. And so it, it, it's on paper, this looks like it could be. It could it could get ugly on paper, but that's why the game is not played on paper, right? Like again, like it on the paper, the pages and the matchups, the analytics, they don't take into account the human element of we hate this team, we're tired of losing to this team, and we want to win a damn division title, and we're tired of people thinking that we can't do it despite all these injuries. So it, it is going to be one extreme or the other, and. Uh, I don't know which way I'm leaning, man. I don't, I don't know which way I'm leaning. Cause I feel like any week you could say these guys are motivated. These guys are ready to play. Like I have no doubt that they're ready to play. Uh, I just, you know, I would like to see how they respond to when the inevitable punch in the mouth happens. You know, they got hit in the mouth after uh, the, the no touchdown, the drop touchdown against Baltimore and the wheels kind of fell off and snowballed from there. Um, if they get hit in the mouth, they go down two scores on Sunday are they going to respond like they did against Baltimore or are they going to respond like they did? I think in the playoff game against Buffalo, when all of a sudden they rattle off 17 unanswered points, like that game in particular gives me 
I guess I don't want to say hope because I want to make yeah. it sound like, like I'm a fan, but like for a Dolphins fan, it should give you hope that they can overcome the loss of critical players because they have almost done it in the past while missing the most critical player you could be missing in Tua Tungle-Vailoa. So a lot of good stuff there, and you, you hit on a few areas I want to follow up on. But first, real quick, let's go ahead and take our first break of the episode. My guest today from ESPN, Marcel Louis-Jock, uh, on the Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. We left off the previous segment there, Marcel, talking about the, I guess, the mental side of this game and the ups and the downs and the previous uh, playing experience with Dolphins and Bills and Josh Allen's success. And a couple of things that you, you touched on there that I wanted to follow up with you on was... I, I keep thinking about that Jets game and, you know, I, I get myself into these, I tell my friends, my wife all the time, like I'm probably on hashtag online too much because I see these <laughs> takes that just like, man, it, I, it gets to me. Like I, these, these narratives and these thoughts and like, remember after the Titans game, the, the amount of comments I saw that they're not going to win another game of the rest of the year. It's like, what, what makes you think that And even in the Jets game, they were down critical parts. They didn't have Tyreek Hill. And on the final drive of the Dallas game, Waddle goes out and Tua leads the offense down the field. So they found ways to win, you know, shorthanded. Now, you did mention the pass rushers. Obviously, you know, Jalen Phillips had a big strip sack in the game last year that was uh, a big part of Miami being really close in that fourth quarter. Uh, we're going to miss him and Bradley Chubb, like you talked about there. But I just think about overcoming those those injuries in the Jets game. I think about the week four matchup and how that might be instructive. I guess my, my question is, Let's start with the, the week four matchup because that was a game where where Buffalo got whatever they wanted, right? And it, it kind of oh, mirrored yeah. the Baltimore game where both offenses went up and down the field and then the Dolphins offense kind of fell off and Buffalo's offense just got better and better. Do you think there's anything instructive from that game that Miami can look at and, and build upon? Or is it a situation where the Bills are saying, this is a team that we've had a lot of success against. We beat them by 28 last time. We're going to keep that rolling. Yeah, it, it's, it's tough because they, they are – it's cliche, but they're both two different teams right now. I mean, new offensive coordinator for, for Buffalo, um, more different personnel for Miami. Um, I think Teron only played like a quarter and a half. He's going to be healthy. Uh, Connor Williams didn't play. I guess that's about the same. No, uh, you know, no Isaiah win now, maybe Rob hunt, maybe not like there's maybe Raheem Mostert, maybe not, maybe Jalen Waddle, maybe not. On the opposite side of the ball, obviously, no Chubb, no Phillips, no that. Like, it, it, it's – they are different – it's different matchups. Like, these are different matchups. Uh, no Milano for, you know, for Buffalo, no Tredavious White. I think – I know he got hurt during that game, but I think it was late, you know, third or fourth quarter of that game. Uh, so, the different matchups. So, I wouldn't necessarily say, like, because week four happened, it's going to happen again in, in week 18. Uh, but I think, like, there are lessons to be learned from that game I think like the biggest lesson kind of falls on it, it it falls on Vic Fangio it falls on Vic Fangio right now and that's having somebody travel with Stefan Diggs I don't know I don't think that I think it's a mismatch I think putting Diggs on Kohu or, or Apple is respectfully a mismatch and Diggs proved as much uh, in, in week four 120 yards and three touchdowns I think this is why you go out and get a guy like Jalen Ramsey like if you have a Jalen Ramsey but you don't use him to 
take away your opponent's best player, then what is the point? You can live with Gabriel Davis and Khalil Shakur beating you. You can live with that. It's not going to be fun, but you can look back at the game plan and say, okay, you know what? These guys stepped up. It is what it is. If Diggs beats you for 150 yards and two touchdowns, you're going to feel like you're going to feel bad. You're going to feel like, why why didn't we do anything different? Unless you have your best on best. Then you're like, okay, we did what we could do. So I think, you know, that's a big, that's a big lesson right now. I think you, 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 you travel, you travel Ramsey with, with Diggs, you play more man. And you know what, if Josh Allen turns into a runner, Josh Allen turns into a runner, but I just read off the passing stats, his passing stats during the last segment. He's been he's been a top tier passer. He, he's across a seventeen game season. He's an MVP. If you know he's only playing the Dolphins based on these these numbers, you got to do something a little different. And that was the the beauty of I guess the Josh Boyer system, which you know I kind of disagreed with fundamentally because of it, it just felt like a fake Madden defense at times. But that constant pressure, those blitzes, like the forcing him to either run or make a quick decision before he's comfortable. Like every now and then, it would it would trip him up. Every now, it would trip him up. They were getting to a point over the past two years where, you know, it, it was it was a toss-up whether he would have a good game or a terrible game. You know, I, I didn't think he was particularly good uh, in the win last year. I didn't think he was partic- particularly good. Uh, I think the home game in 2000, I think my second year here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was 21. Yeah. It was like, it was like yeah. 11 to 8 at halftime or something. Like, it was a weird score. Or the away game. Yeah, no, yeah. the home game was uh, – yeah. We don't got to talk about the home game, the away game. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like okay, game. like they might have be, they might be figuring something out. They might be figuring something out here. So I think you know you're gonna have to simulate pressure. Uh, you know, Andrew Van Ginkle is a critical player this game. Like he's gonna have to have a big game. Ingram and Agba, um, You know, we heard Vic Fangio say they're gonna rotate. Uh, they're gonna need. They're gonna need to have you know two of the best games of their lives here, um, and that's gonna have to be every game for them moving forward. It's interesting because you know. And I've done this so many times with the Bills, Marcel. Like I've been, I've been with the team since 2020. I've done a daily podcast on the Dolphins since 2016. So I'm, I'm well versed in Josh Allen's career as well as his exploits against the Miami Dolphins. And you know, I, I, I do these previews. I talk about the way this team was constructed. I feel like I know Buffalo as, as well as any other team in the National Football League besides the Miami Dolphins. And every time the Dolphins and Bills get together, it's like you talk about Josh is either like perfect and has a perfect game, or he has one of those, you know, valleys of the peaks and valleys game that he can have, but Miami doesn't find a way to capitalize on catching the interceptions. Like I think back to the 2020, 2020 game, I think it was when he took a deep shot and Xavier Howard had a pick in his hands and it, it fell off of his fingertips. And the next play was a touchdown and Miami falls behind and they can't come back and win that game. And then there was one where like Kyle Van Noy had a screen pass in his hands and he couldn't hang on. And, and J- Javon Holland jumps around last year in the game and couldn't hang on to the pick. So there's opportunities there that he'll, he'll create for you sometimes, but sometimes it's not that way. So I think if it's one of those games and Miami can capitalize on the takeaways, they can make a big push and, and get a victory in this game. It sounds like, you kind of know where you're going, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you just to put a bow on the podcast, Marcel. Who are you picking? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you you can pick Buffalo. Man. It's fine. Because <laughs> I've been saying I've been saying this all week, you know, that, you know, I, I'm not going to say that the Dolphins can't win. I'm not going to say that they won't win. I am going to say that it will take their A-plus effort to win. It's not impossible. It's not like, and I don't even mean to say this as in like, it's not a likely event. Like I just, it, it's a possibility, but that's the level of play it's going to take. You're not going to like, you're not going to, you know, bring your B game, bring your C game 
into Sunday and win against this team right now. It's not going to happen. But to beat Buffalo, you are going to have to play your best game of the season right now. Uh, or maybe if Buffalo plays its worst, then was you know you'll see that you can never rely on other teams being at their worst. Like this is the three-time reigning uh, AFC East champion. They've been in games like this before. And in my, I just I did the math earlier. I've covered ten Bills Dolphins games. I've seen the Dolphins win one of those. I'm yet to see the Dolphins win a game that matters, especially in this capacity. I am not saying it can't happen. I'm saying that is what it needs to, this is what they need to do in order to win. It needs to be their best game of the season. So, you know, uh, you know, my, my, my head does say Buffalo wins this game. My head does say Buffalo wins this game, but Miami it's, you know, Miami is right there. They just, they're going to have to lock in. You can't see those mental mistakes. You know, Mike McDaniel is going to have to call a smart game. They're going to have to establish the run. You're going to need to see something from the rookie from Devin Knight, Devon A-Chain, uh, you know, they're going to have to capitalize on turnovers and turnover worthy plays, whatever the, that stat is called, you know, you can't drop interceptions. You, you can't miss, you know, if the ball's on the ground, you can't dive past it and slide past it. Like there, it, it's going to take a perfect game with their A plus game. The Dolphins can beat Miami. Anything short of that. I think the Bills win, I guess is the short way to answer, you know, my long winded answer. No, it's it's good. I, I'm I'm hopeful that they can recreate the playoff game last year. I think if you get that performance from the defense, the takeaways, and the short fields, and all that stuff, like you talked about with the Josh Boyer and even the Brian Flores defenses before that, you can create those chances. And two was ability to put the ball in the end zone. I think would be uh, would get you into the winner circle. And I think like I almost want to clip this and get it to Coach McDaniel and just like have him play at the team meeting, not to like disparage you, Marcel, <laughs> but to be like, look, look, guys, this is like the Dolphins' mantra: if you play your best game then you beat them. And if you beat them, now you've come off your best game going into the postseason with home playoff games. Like that would be perfect. Like that would be a, a really good way to go into the playoffs. So it's all out there in front of them. It's the opportunity they've all wanted all year long to talk about, you know, division titles, the first goal of the season. So I think it's going to be a rallying cry. I think it's going to be a fun game on Sunday night and uh, can't wait to, to watch it and, and hear your takes on it after the fact as well. Marcel Louis-Jock covering your Miami Dolphins for ESPN, his alma mater, also pulled off their second win over my alma mater, Arizona State, over the Cougs. In the last six years, I looked it up for you, Marcel. So two and four against the Cougs in the last six years. Congrats on that. Uh, thank you for your time today, sir. And tell the folks what you're working on right now. Go Devils, man. Uh, working <laughs> on, good, uh, good job. got a story. It should be coming out, um, not this week, but first week of playoff, um, about how Tua was able to stay healthy. Um, obviously, it was the big storyline entering the season. Uh, you know, heard that excellent quote, excellent quote from Mike McDaniel about to a kind of embracing the narrative and accepting why it exists instead of just using it to fuel him, you know, using negative energy to fuel you, you know, learning, hey, that there's a reason why people are saying this, but you still have the power and the opportunity to change their minds and to prove them wrong. So I, uh, that should be coming out. I think it's on Tuesday or I think it's on the night. Uh, excited for that to come out and then uh you know obviously the the normal game day musings um should be dropping this weekend and uh we're excited get to that stadium early man i know i'm i'm, I'm gonna try to set a record i'm usually a just-in-time kind of guy but i'm gonna try to set a record here <laughs> and get there and get there in time to park in a, with at a normal parking spot and not you know driving through hell to get there <laughs> yeah that might be a five-hour uh, early arrival time if you're going to make that happen, my friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're not lying, man. <laughs> All right, Marcel, appreciate you, man. Thank you.
And away he goes. I didn't realize how long that interview was, but good stuff there with Marcel. As always, let's go ahead and take our last break right there. Come back on the other side. We'll hear from head coach Mike McDaniel. And also, I have a fun segment planned that I'm looking forward to talking about quarterbacks and legacies and big games, getting over the hump, all of that and more. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Let's actually start here with the quarterback monologue that I wrote up here because we'll get to McDaniel here in a second, but I want to talk about this and it's not far off from what I've been doing really the last couple of Thursday and Fridays here on these monologues in these huge games. And it's funny because I'm guilty of this too, but we sure do collectively as a fan base and as football fans and as humans, I think become prisoners of the moment, don't we? I mean, the Dallas game was the biggest in the franchise's last two-decade history, right? Biggest game in McDaniel's career. Biggest game in Tua's career. And the funny part about that is they both executed in the biggest moments of that entire game. That was the biggest game in the franchise's history the last two decades. But if we lose to Buffalo, does anybody still feel that that was the case? Will you recall that game-winning drive that Tua put together? Probably not. The same was said of Baltimore. If you beat Buffalo, does anybody still feel that way? I don't think so. What if you lose to Buffalo and then you beat KC in Baltimore? Probably unlikely, but not impossible. How would you feel about losing this Buffalo game? And I keep using the legacy game stuff. Hell, when when I was getting coffee this morning in the facility, I looked up at one of the TVs in there, and they were doing a segment on one of those horrible morning talk shows, whose legacy is most on the line for this playoffs? LeBron? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But Tua was, of course, up on that board. And it's just like the same concept I just explained about each individual game. It applies across multiple seasons. I know we're going to be upset if this year does not go the way we hope it does. But like your perspective is you'll be right back here again next year. Like, do you really think that Tua and Mike's offense will get worse in year three or year four? What about when you have the same continuity on the defensive staff that you had on offense this year and you have Jalen Ramsey for a full year where it doesn't take eight years, to, eight, eight, eight years, eight weeks to gel? Like, look, if, if this season ends in these next two weeks, it'll be devastating. It's going to be hard to want to even get back into football. It'll be probably hard to watch the playoff games, which is terrible because I love playoff football more than anything else besides my wife and kids. Like, it's my favorite thing in the world, especially when the Dolphins are playing. But You'll be right back here again next August watching this team in training camp, having these exact same discussions in December. I guess that's my point. And yes, I know free agents on this team are vast, but there are always creative routes that you can take to get the team back together. You could probably run it back with the exact same roster next year, which by the way, if Tua gets paid, that's like a $15 million reduction or relief in year one of that contract. So you you get that, you might get retirements, you get June one cuts, restructures. I'm just saying... What I'm trying to say is there's not five teams right now in the NFL with better futures than Miami because your head coach and your quarterback are aligned. They're both elite. That's all that matters. That's not all that matters, but that's the biggest part. The biggest part of the equation is that, as we have learned over the last 20 years, because what did we have 20 years ago? An elite coach and quarterback, right? 25 years ago, and now we have it again. And in between, we didn't have it, and we didn't go to the playoffs ever. It's the biggest part of the game. So with that said, I wanted to look at this because the narrative, if we lose Sunday for some... And maybe this is the vast minority, and I'm just seeing the vocal minority. But the narrative will be that Tua caused it. It's Tua's issue. They got to replace Tua Tungavailoa. The quarterback can't win. They got to replace him. Because I saw that the pick that Patrick Queen had, I saw the the take that that was what swung the game. Really? 
you sure about that? You sure about that's why? It wasn't the busted coverage for a 75-yard touchdown on the first play after the offense had just made it a 14-13 game. Like, think about it. Baltimore got the ball back in the game with 3-10 to play in the second quarter. If you just hold them to a field goal there, we go into half 17-13. Different game. Or, hear me out, hear me out, what if you actually got a stop? And then we aren't pushing the ball against the clock. We don't force that throw. Maybe we kick a field goal. I mean, that would be a halftime lead, 16-14. That's, that's a possibility that could have happened on Sunday. But what else should I expect from a community that has actual oxygen-breathing human beings suggesting that Mike McDaniel could be on the hot seat if we lose on Sunday? Like, I'm not going to entertain that beyond that point. But get out of here, Dewey. You don't want this stuff. It's terrible. I just wanted to look at some of Tua's counterparts, the people who he's being measured against, which in and of itself should be telling, right? But I digress. The people who he is comparable with his film and his passing numbers, like a Peyton Manning, who lost his first three playoff games by a combined total of 83 to 33. The offense averaged 11 points in his first three playoff games, an offense that was breaking records from the moment he got on the field, well, his sophomore year. He also lost to the Patriots each of the next two postseasons, and then in his sixth season as a one seed facing a six-seeded Steelers team at home, coming in with a playoff record of 3-5 and five in his career, lost to the last team to make it into the postseason while taking five sacks and completing less than 60% of his passes. He got his ring in 06, year 7, which, by the way, he scored 15 points in one of those games, going 15 for 30 with a buck 70, no touchdowns, and two picks. Awful. But he won. Drew Brees, he was bounced in his lone playoff game with the Chargers, then made a nice run in 06, getting a first-round bye and winning a playoff game, but then an 83.2 passer rating in the NFC Championship game to fall to 1-2 and two career in the postseason. Then, they don't get back to the playoffs for the next two years. Imagine if Tua did that off of this year. If he went no playoffs the next two years, he... Pfft, I don't want to think of what the Twitterverse would do to him. But then they won the Super Bowl, so that's a pretty nice feather. But the rest of his career, 5-7 and seven, and a career 9-9 playoff record. What about the guy who actually did replace Drew Brees in, in San Diego? Phillip Rivers, 5-7 and seven career playoff record. The only year where he won multiple playoff games, his offense posted an average of 19 points per game in those games. How about Lamar Jackson, who's 1-3 in the playoffs? His first playoff loss as a full-time starter was in an MVP 14-2 record-breaking season of an offense. He posts a 63 passer rating, and a garbage-time touchdown in that game actually rescued that rating from the 50s. Of course, the year prior, they scored 17 points in a loss to the Chargers. Then he got his revenge on the Titans in the wildcard round the next year in 2020, only to go 14 of 24 with 162 and a pick in the divisional round in a loss to the Buffalo Bills where they scored 10 points. And he hasn't played a playoff game since that year. Hmm. And I think we'd all agree he's the best quarterback in the league right now, right? Like, he, he is. How about Dak Prescott? He's pretty damn good. Hasn't been to a championship game in his eight-year career, but I bet he does it this year. And then what's the narrative then? And there's even more. This is after they were written off to th for this season after losing to us. And they're going to win the NFC East and probably be the two-seed. What about Josh Allen? He's actually been awesome in the playoffs, but he's 4-4, four and four, and that includes passer ratings of 69.5, 80.8, and 68 in three losses, three of those four losses. Now, unicorns do exist. Patrick Mahomes is, is a unicorn. Tom Brady was. Ben Roethlisberger won a Super Bowl right away. Would it be nice to have some early career success as those guys? Of course it would. That's what we want. But the point of this is to tell you some of the takes you see, maybe the takes that you've had on an emotional state, I've been guilty of it. Privately, I disowned the team when they fell down 21-0 at Kansas City. 
in my own head. I didn't say it on Twitter because I'm not going to change my process that quickly. But maybe you said that. But the idea is that it is hard, hard to win these big games. That's why all these great quarterbacks, legends of the game, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, have sub-500 records in these postseason careers, right? Just think about that. Think about the context of that. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast with some Mike McDaniel audio. And we're going to play just one soundbite because there were several injury questions that he answered, and um, we'll have the injury report for you guys up on Twitter probably by the time you hear this podcast, quite honestly. And then uh, there was a question that I asked about the Pro Bowlers and the pride he takes in having six players qualify for the Pro Bowl. And you know, I thought it was cool he talked about Tua a year ago, people saying that this guy couldn't even finish a 17-game season. Now he's a starting quarterback for the AFC Pro Bowl team. A couple of undrafted guys, first-timers making the Pro Bowl, and you guys know how I feel about how cool the Alec Ingold and Raheem Mostert stories are. And then with Ramsey and Armstead and Tyreek, how important they are to the football team, obviously. Good stuff. Find the entire uh, press conference or uh, media availability on YouTube. Let's go ahead and play this one soundbite, though, because this is all I really care about this week. The Buffalo Bills, huge game. Uh, not going to be crying about how the season's not gone the way I wanted to the last week of the season, really. Injuries, all that stuff. I just want to talk about beating Buffalo, what this team's mindset is. Here's Coach on balancing the pressure of these big games, even though it is just another game in terms of football, but it's more than that. It kind of speaks to what we've been doing um, since we got together as a group. The only way to handle that is when they say it, it's just another game, it's because it is a, a normal football game. Uh, but if you take um, an, enough intentionality and create um, pressure and expectations for yourself um, from you know the beginning of training camp and and approach each and every practice and each and every game with with full uh, ambition, um, focus, and uh, you know treating every every game as though you'd treat a playoff game, then all games are the same. And you're better um, versed at uh, big game experiences because you tre- you've treated so many games as big games. So I think this this team, based upon what they've done, um, what they've experienced, how much uh, how much attention they've received, it's been a, a attention filled year for for the entire team with the with the. You know, the offense getting a ton of um, acclaim early on in the season, um, you know, to, to having expectations that are brought forth when, when you're, if you win a game by 50, then to have heartbreaking um, losses throughout the season but continually respond. I think all of those things accumulated uh, give you the best chance to put your best foot forward um, in, in a – in a week 18. So I think, um, it's, it, it's focusing on the fact that you've, you've built yourself up to be able to play in this game. And then once the game starts that it's, um, uh, basic football with playing with your teammates, adhering to our fundamentals and technique and then playing, playing inspired. Um, th- that's, that's what it takes to accomplish the goal. And that's what it, they've been focusing on this week. And I've been, um, reiterating to them um, every time they open their eyes and look at me. All right, that's it. Next time I talk to you guys, either we're AFC East champions or we're going on the road to nine degree Kansas City in the wild card round. I hope it's the former, man. It's not going to be over if it's not, but man, 
I hope it's the former. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with my guy Seth and OJ. Check out the YouTube channel for the media availabilities like this one you just heard, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline Cameron, Daddy's coming home.